Well, you can open up your scriptures to Galatians 5, 16 to 26. If you'd like, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but we're continuing our sermon series on the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God with us. And today we're going to talk about walking, walking by the Spirit and uh, bearing fruit. Uh, one of the blessings of living in New England is walking. <laughs> it's, it's one of those beautiful parts of the country. In fact, i got a picture of just a nice beautiful path here um, coming up on the screen. Uh, but one of the beauties of, of living in New England is you go for these walks, especially in the fall, but all year round, um, and just enjoy the outside beauty of, of this area. Um, but it's always good to go for a walk with somebody. Um, and my favorite person to walk with is my wife, Jessica. Um, this is a big week for Jessica. She turned 39 for the second year in a row. Um, so, pretty good. But uh, I love walking with her. We, uh, so, you know, as, as a pastor, I usually take a weekday off. So it used to be Mondays. And then the today, well, on Mondays, the kids are at school. So we're like halfway empty nesters already. It's kind of strange, even at my age. Uh, but uh, we would go for walks together all over the place. Maudsley and Park and Winnie Kinney and wherever else at the beach. Or, um, and I enjoy just walking and talking together. Um, you know, guys aren't always the best about opening up about themselves and about their feelings. And, you know, if you're just sitting there staring at each other, most husbands are not going to talk too much about what's going on in their life. That's just reality. But if you go for a walk and you're actually doing something physical, it's amazing what you'll just sort of be willing to share and to talk and you'll be able to enjoy those times with each other. And I think those times spending with each other walking have shaped my life and they've shaped her life as we talk with one another. What we're called to do in the scriptures is to walk with God. (laughs) To walk with God. Walk by the Spirit. And when we do so, when we walk with God and the very presence of God is with us, it changes us. It shapes us. It molds us into something. We see this right at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, Adam was in the Garden of Eden. It said God, he would walk with God in the cool of the day. God would come by his side and they would walk together. The very presence of God. Or one great Old Testament hero, Enoch, is said to have walked with God for 300 years. It's a long time. And then was no more. He was just sort of taken out of this world. Uh, Enoch walked with God. And even in the New Testament, this idea of the Christian walk uh, is a parallel or is an analogy for the Christian life. As if we're sort of on a journey together. And in this journey, the very presence of God goes with us. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when He's with us, He does something to us. He bears fruit in us. Look with me at Galatians 5, 16 to 26. We're going to talk about walking by the Spirit. We're going to look at 16 to 26. And there's an outline in your bulletin, as always, if you want to see where we're going. Uh, three points, and then we'll close up. But 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the, spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's Word, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit as the very presence of God with us. And when He's with us, He changes us. But first, look at 16 to 21. To walk by the Spirit is to leave behind the works of the flesh. To walk by the Spirit is to leave behind the works of the flesh. Look where he starts in verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. That's sort of the overarching command of this whole section. That we're called to be walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the presence of God with us. And he says, if you do so, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that tells you right from the start that the flesh isn't gone as Christians. It's still there. And there's still desires there of of the flesh. But we're not gratifying them. In other words, we're not giving in to those desires of the flesh. Because why? The Spirit of God is with us and we're walking with Him. 17. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So we have a complete opposition between these two things. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. And he says at the end here, to keep you from doing the things you want. So if you're walking in the flesh... And you just want to enjoy sin without Christ. And you become a Christian. The Spirit's not going to let you just enjoy that. There's going to be conviction. And vice versa. If you're seeking to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to walk bearing the fruit of the Spirit. As we're going to look at later on. Well the flesh isn't going to be happy about that either. It's going to be raging against you. There's sort of an opposition. Two things. Two desires at work within you. But he says verse 18. One of them is going to win. And verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit. So again that idea of walking by the Spirit. He's doing the leading. You're walking with Him. Then you're not under the law. Uh, To understand what he's getting at there. The whole book of Galatians talks about how uh, the law led us to Christ. It showed us our sin. It showed us how bad we really are. And without the law we're still sinners. It doesn't make us sinners. But it shows us our sin. Leads us to Christ. And in Christ we find forgiveness and grace. And then His Spirit leads us forward. So we're no longer under the penalty of the law if if we're led by the Spirit. But then he goes in, verse 19, to give us a list of all of these works of the flesh. And he goes into some detail. It's interesting he calls them the works, plural, of the flesh because the flesh doesn't just produce one type of thing. It produces all different types of sin. It's diverse in its sinfulness. And he gives us what's sometimes called a catalog of sin or a list here. Um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of things. We won't go into each one with great detail. Uh, but most have seen really four categories. Four categories of sin uh, arising from this list. So the first three in verse 19 have to do with sexual sin. So the first beginning, the se- sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And it's interesting, aren't there, isn't, isn't it, that there are sort of uh, different types of sexual sin. Uh, different levels, if you will. Now, when I say levels, I'm not saying any of them are okay. <laughs> you know, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying some of these don't really matter, but there's, there's really bad stuff. Any of these are bad. Any of these are against the Lord. Any of these would lead to, to condemnation without grace in Christ. But there is a difference between committing adultery and flirting in the office, both of which are wrong. But nevertheless, there's impurity and there's sexual immorality. But he talks about there's one category of sin, one way in which the flesh shows itself is in sexual deviancy. Verse, tw- uh, verse 20, then the next two have to do with more religious sins, if you would. Uh, idolatry, 
which was to literally take a statue or figurine or something like that of, of what we, people believe to be a god and to bow down and to offer alms to it or stuff like that. And I would just say, idolatry in that very specific sense is very much alive and well today. <laughs> it's all around the world. There's tons of idolatry in many different countries around the world. So that's a very real thing still. But I do think there is a, a sort of underlying reality of idolatry. Idolatry is when you put anything in the place of God. So an idol is something that you worship instead of God, who is the unseen creator of all things. So whenever we put anything, whether that's our car or our home or our families or whatever it may be, a hobby like golf or whatever, anything above God, that becomes an idol. But then he mentions here, uh, interestingly, sorcery. Um, you might think, well, not too many of us are guilty of sorcery, right? I mean, the other day, maybe you were struggling with a little bit of lust, and maybe you had some idolatry of uh, you know, a specific uh, car that you really wanted, but you probably weren't tempted to go out and uh, work a little bit of sorcery on the side. That's my guess is, right? Uh, but sorcery uh, is really just to try to tap into uh, spiritual things outside of God. Um, so if you are sort of involved in horoscopes, or fortune-telling, or any of those superstitions. You're trying to get in touch with something spiritual, beyond the physical, and you're doing it outside of God. I think that's a form of sorcery, in a sense. In fact, the word sorcery, the Greek word is pharmakeia, which we get, obviously, the English word pharmacy, um, and which has to do with drugs, and I think in some ways, in many ways, when people do uh, lots of Narcotics. What are they trying to do? They're trying to reach something beyond the natural, something beyond this world, and to tap into something greater, but they're doing it outside of God's form, I think, perhaps of sorcery. Then the next list, the longest list, has to do with relational sins. Uh, how we treat one another, uh, and how we mistreat one another, really. And this, interestingly enough, is the longest section. Uh, look how, much, how many different types of ways we mistreat each other. Enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, uncontrolled anger towards one another, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And we had talked about, I think it was three or four weeks ago, how spiritual maturity in many ways is defined by your relationship to other Christians. That if you're somebody who is divisive and doesn't play well with others and always has to have your own way and isn't willing to, to submit to, to spiritual leadership and uh, someone who is um, just always gossiping and slanderous, that's really a sign of clear spiritual immaturity. And the person who's willing to set aside their own desires for the sake of others and to serve one another's, it's a clear sense of spiritual maturity. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that this is perhaps the longest cate- category that he gives us here. And the last two on this list have to do with sort of substance-related drunkenness. Uh, So what we believe, I believe, uh, uh, from from understanding of the scriptures, is that drinking alcohol is not a sin. uh, But drunkenness is regularly and continually condemned as sinful in all of scripture. Um, And then the last part is orgies, which is now connecting to the first part. So your drunkenness has led now to sexual sin as well. Just as a little bit of a side note, I've had a couple people, a few people ask me, Rick, Pastor Rick, now that, now that marijuana is legal, <laughs> I said no, because very, a very simple reason. Yes, marijuana is not in the scripture, but it's a very simple reason, uh, because it's, if you have a drink, you're not drunk. If you have too many drinks, you're drunk. Uh, if you smoke marijuana, you are, in a sense, drunk. You are, you've lost control of your senses. You're immediately in a position in which I think... Um, 
would be akin to drunkenness. But notice the different categories of sin. Sin is diverse. Sin shows itself in different ways. And this is not an exhaustive list, list, not by any stretch of the imagination. Look how he ends it here at the very end. And things like these. And he's not saying this is all the sins there are. There are many others. He's just giving us a, a sense of what the works of the flesh is all about. And then he ends with these very stinging words. Verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul doesn't usually use that term, kingdom of God. It's a very Jesus thing. It's a very uh, gospel thing, uh, the four gospels. But here he uses it. If you're going to inherit the kingdom, uh, this can't be your life. That's what he's saying. Now, what's the idea there? I think this is, again, where we, the understanding of the whole book of Galatians helps us. Uh, he's not saying that if you fall into any one of these sins, at one point you slip up, so you're saved, you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life, and then one bad night you get drunk, boom, it's gone. You're no longer saved. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's describing again, and this is helpful to think of it in terms of two kingdoms. Uh, there is the, the kingdom of this world, sometimes called the kingdom of darkness, uh, a fallen kingdom, the kingdom that's in rebellion against God, the kingdom outside of Christ. And then there's the kingdom of Christ. And you're in one or you're in the other. Uh, we, are, we were created good. We've been in rebellion against God. We've been in this kingdom of rebellion against God since our great first ancestor Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all, as the Puritans would say. Uh, but God in Christ has taken us from a kingdom of darkness, from the realm of Adam. He's placed us in the kingdom of Christ. He's transferred us from one to the other. But here's the thing. If you are in the kingdom of Christ, you're with the Holy Spirit, you are being transformed. And you're no longer comfortable with sin anymore. So he's saying, look, if this is your life and you're continually living in these unrepentant ways, that should reveal to you which kingdom you're really in. So it's not the sin itself that's saying that you're no longer, you're not inheriting the kingdom. It's what it reveals. What's the deeper underlying reality behind that? Are you part of the kingdom of this world, or are you part of the kingdom of Christ? If you're part of the kingdom of Christ, this should not be your life anymore. Something has changed. You're being transformed ever so slowly, but you're being transformed. Now, what's the purpose of giving us this list? Uh, I mean, just to make us feel bad and <laughs> guilty? No, there's a reason why it gives us one is to, for us to recognize what we've been saved from. Uh, I think it's, it's always helpful to, to look back and think where I would be, where I was before I had Christ as my Savior. And where I would be if I didn't have Christ as my Savior today. So I was saved when I was 14. I looked to Christ as Savior and Lord when I was 14 years of age. And yeah, I was a selfish little kid and all that. But you might say, well, how, many, how many big sins can you really commit when you're 14? I don't know. You know there's, there's some, I suppose. But I didn't murder anybody. I didn't get in and out of jail or anything like that. And, um, but friends, really that was just a matter of opportunity. <laughs> uh, I didn't have the chance to commit great sins because by God's grace, he brought me to himself at a very young age. If I had gone on another 10, 20, 30 years in the same direction, who knows how many of these works of flesh I could have checked off. Oh, God has transferred us away from that. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his son and we look and see what he has saved us from. But more than that, as we said in the very beginning, that the flesh isn't gone. It's still at war. It's still, those desires are still there. So when we see this list, we see what we're up against, where the battle is, what we're fighting against. Uh, we're, we, we're, the, the difference is, friends, that before we were on the same team as sin. 
We were on the same team as the flesh. This is where we lived. We were happy in our sin and living in the desire, the works of the flesh. But now he's transferred us and we're at war with the flesh. We shouldn't be comfortable with any of these things, even as we're, at, we're battling against them regularly. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Rocky? Every hand should be up, just about, right? I mean, if you missed Rocky, boy, you've got to go back and watch Rocky, right? Uh, but Rocky is the, is the ultimate uh, sort of enduring fighter. You remember the great fight at the end with Apollo Creed? And he's just going at it, and he's the this, this supreme underdog. And Apollo is just pounding on him and pounding on him, but he just won't go down. I think it's like the 10th round or 11th round or whatever it is. Rocky finally goes down. And he's just beat up, and he's on the ground, and he's waiting out the 10 seconds. And um, Paula turns around, and he begins to celebrate, puts his hands in the air, and he's thinking, I've done it. I've, I've won. And Rocky gets up. And when Apollo looks back, and he sees Rocky get back up, do you remember Apollo's face? It was just, how could he get back up? I thought this was over. He thought that the fight had to be over. Friends, that's us. No matter how we, bad we get sort of beat up by the flesh, we get back up, we keep fighting, we keep fighting, we keep fighting. That's what he's saying. We're at war with the flesh. We're at war with the works of the flesh. This isn't on our side anymore. Maybe you do fall from, to one of these or the other from time to time, and the struggle is very real, but you're, at a, you're in a battle, and you're going to keep fighting, and when you get knocked down, what do you do? You get back up, and you keep fighting. Of course, I should have said Rocky too, because he actually loses that fight in the end by decision, but you get the idea. In the end, we win the fight. Are you at war with your sin. See it and recognize it. Also, look at God's grace. When you see this list, don't you see God's grace? I do. Because I see that He can save any type of sinner. He mentions things that seem so trivial and that we all perhaps struggle with at times, like anger or sensuality, envy. I mean, those aren't things that seem to be overly great sins. But on that same list of sins are, are sins you would think perhaps these people would never be redeemed. And yet he says they are. Imagine somebody who struggles in deep sexual immorality, finding repentance and faith and redemption. Somebody who is maybe deep into sorcery. I have a pastor friend was mentioned they had somebody who, who when they were younger, gave, ritualistically gave their life to Satan and some ritual. And yet now they're coming to church and finding grace and forgiveness and redemption. Orgies, those who lived in just absolute surrender to sin. Friends, look at this list and see God's grace of saying he can save any type of sinner. Whether that's sexual, relational, religious, or substance-induced. But notice the second list. Here's where the, 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 it gets better. Look at 22 to 24. Uh, to walk by the Spirit. Yes, it's to leave behind something. It's to leave behind these works of the flesh. But it's to bear something new. It's to bear the good fruit of the gospel. It's to bear what God brings in us when we walk with Him. Verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's interesting. He doesn't describe it as the, the works of of the Spirit was the works of the flesh. This isn't the works of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, The works of the flesh come out of our own flesh, but the fruit is something that God bears within us, something that is truly supernatural in us. And notice it's often uh, sometimes misunderstood to say the fruits of the Spirit. (laughs) But actually fruit is singular. Uh, These are all one thing. 
Unlike the works of the flesh where you might say, I, struggle, I don't struggle with the sexual sin stuff, but I have a real issue with envy. Or I don't struggle with really substance issues, but I do have an idolatry when it comes to stuff. Uh, you can sort of pick and choose. And in this one, you see it all together. The fruit of the Spirit comes as one. So sometimes people say, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, they got a basket full of fruit with you know, all different types of fruit. Bananas and apples and oranges and so forth and, and all these different types and say, these are the fruits of the Spirit. But it doesn't really work that way. You can't have one without the other. They come together. You can't have love without patience. You can't say, I'm really someone who's really good at self-control, but I'm not very kind. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. These all come as one package. The fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at the list specifically that he mentions in 22. The fruit of the Spirit, notice what tops the list is love. How fitting, because love, of course, is the whole of the law. In summation, uh, to love God with all your heart and soul and, your, and mind and strength and then to love your neighbor as yourself is to fulfill the law. Uh, that's the whole law. If you could do that fully, without fail, you've done everything the law has commanded you to do, to genuinely, truly love God and to love your neighbor. Uh, it's the chief virtue. In, in Colossians 3, it's described as we put on virtues like clothing. You've got your t-shirt or your whatever, and then your other shirt, and then the coat, the overcoat that you put on everything else, it says, is love. The greatest of all the virtues. Because if we love truly, then we do all the rest of the list without problem. The second part is joy. And I think it's interesting that joy comes second. Because I think in many times, Christians, we put joy way lower on the list. You know, joy is no big deal. If you have it, you have it. If you don't, it don't. It doesn't matter as long as you're obeying what God has called you to do. But no, he puts joy as number two, a joy in God, friends. If you're a Christian who walks with the Lord and there is no joy in you, there's something wrong. There's something spiritually unhealthy there. Joy should be something that exudes, that overflows in you. I'm reading this great book called Happiness by Randy Alcorn. I recommend it if you get a chance to read it. It's a little bit of a long read. Uh, but one of the things he, he argues very clearly is we use that term blessed. We're very blessed, Right? Well, we don't even know what that word means. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to bless somebody? We say, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn. What does that even mean, to be blessed? And very clearly, from the Greek and the Hebrew, that word means happy. You say, well, that seems kind of worldly, doesn't it? That doesn't matter. That's what the word means. It means happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who hear the words written in this book. Happiness is all over the Bible. And if you're not happy... You've missed something about the truth of what it means to walk with God. Love, joy, peace is the idea of shalom, a wholeness and completeness that we have with Him. Uh, we are at peace with God regardless of circumstances. Um, this is how you know it's, it's something supernatural. When someone is in the midst of a horrible situation and they're at peace. And, and I've seen that again and again with so many of you going through grief or some tragedy, some um, sickness that you're in the midst of, and yet you say, you took, I can, and you can, everyone can see it in you, there's a certain peace about it. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that you're walking with the Holy Spirit in, your very, in His very presence. A lot of these are relational, sort of in answer to those other uh, struggles of the works of the flesh, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. It changes not just our inner being, but it changes our relationships, the way we treat other people. Uh, we should be more kind and more gentle if we're walking with God. It's something He's producing in us. 
And that last one, self-control, uh, probably has a lot to do with sexuality. Uh, there's a little quote here um, from uh, Barclay. Uh, this was an amazing thing. Uh, how did they do in, in the ancient Greek world, sexual sin was all over the place. Uh, and yet Christians, uh, like what he says here, Paul lived in a world in which such sin was rampant, obviously. I mean, they're known even throughout the ages as, a, as ancient Greek culture. And in that world, Christianity brought men an almost miraculous power to live in purity. Isn't that interesting? That self-control was sort of formulated by the Spirit at work being born in people, and they were able to deal with sexual temptation and walk closely with the Lord in faithfulness to what He's called them to do. He says, against such things there is no law. Uh, Law can't produce these things, only the very presence of God. Verse 24, he closes it up. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That's something behind us. It's dead. It may still rage. It may still battle within us. It may still, we may still are at war with it, but it's been crucified. It's on its way out. And its passions and its desires may still be there, but they're on their way out as well. God has done a work of transformation. Now, the neat thing about these, as I said, these are the fruit of the Spirit. They're a supernatural work within us. Now, this is not something that we can sort of do by our own effort. You know, if we just try harder to be good, we'll become good. If we try harder to be loving, we'll become more loving. It doesn't work that way. How hard we try, sin will eventually have the last word, unless it's the Spirit of God who's bearing these in us. The more we walk with Him, the more we talk with Him, the more we enjoy His presence, the more He begins to transform us. Like I said, when walking with my wife changes me, changes her, to walk with God changes us. What does that mean? Well, I mean, it means to certainly to be studying his word. I want to be very practical. Get your nose into the book. Read the scriptures. Meditate on his word and what he has to say. Certainly means to be often with God in prayer. Seeking to repent from sins when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. To ask for forgiveness and to turn around and to go in another direction and to walk with him. We get knocked down. This is another sort of tactic, I think, of... of uh, of the flesh when you fail instead of getting back up getting back onto the path and still walking what do you do you say well I've already messed up I'll never get back into this no that's it's the flesh still holding you down or repent get back up keep walking with him Um, the Holy Spirit waits well he doesn't get too far ahead so that we don't can't catch up Uh, when we mess up we get back on it and over time you begin to see what he begins to produce in us actually I think others will see it before you see it I think you'll begin to talk to others and say, you know, I see changes in you. Even if you don't see them, I can begin to see them. I, I, I remember a wife told me before, she said, I know when my husband's been going to men's, group, men's, you know, men's Bible study, because it's different at home. <laughs> when he hasn't attended for a while, I can begin to see <laughs> that he hasn't attended, for he hasn't been in the Word for a while. Others begin to notice these changes. Over time, you become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful. And this isn't something that we just do individually. This is something we do together as a church. It's God's work in us as a community. As I said, hopefully others notice this as well, that, that not only you individually, but your church is, is filled with kindness. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people, that's what they want when they come to a church. They're afraid to walk in. Particularly our church. We're a big, huge building with brick and solid wood. I say people like glass doors nowadays because they want to know what they're walking into, right? Uh, we probably have one of the hardest churches to walk into because it's a big, old wooden door. <laughs> people don't know what this, what's on the other side of it. But people, what they want when they come to a church is just to see, are people kind on the other side of those doors? Am I going to meet with 
mean people or people who are just going to ignore me or, or point me out and, and make me feel, whatever it's going to be. Is there a certain level of kindness, of gentleness towards one another, of faithfulness? Do people see that? Do people recognize that here? And I would say, from my experience, and I have a very jaded, biased view for First Baptist, uh, I've known people say that all the time about our church. You guys are so loving and welcoming and kind here. And I love coming there because people are gentle. And I, people see people post it and stuff around, too. I visited there once before. People are really gentle and kind. God is doing a work. That's how we know it's not simply of us. It's His Spirit at work. Then we come to this last section, 25 to 26. Uh, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, what's he talking about there? Uh, he's not talking about just the same thing he's already mentioned because it says, if we're already doing that, we're living by the Spirit. That's, that's one thing. Let's also keep in step with Him. <laughs> so how do you do both? What does one have to do with the other? I think what he's talking about here is now understanding the Spirit's leading. Uh, where, what direction is he, is he heading? And, and literally the word there means to follow. Uh, I get the impression when it says keep in step with, like a, like a little kid with his dad, and his dad leaves these big footprints in the mud or in the dirt, and the little kid just puts his little feet inside those same exact footprints as he follows his dad walking down the path. Are, are we keeping in step with the Spirit. And he ties that directly, verse 26, with pride. Uh, Let us not become conceited. It takes a certain humility to understand the the leading of the Holy Spirit and to follow Him. Uh, And then pride shows itself in ugly ways, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, I think the calling here is to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is sort of the million dollar question people always want to know. How do I know what God wants me to do? Uh, I'm going to give you the best answer I can here. Uh, There's Different ways of understanding God's will. First of all, everything is God's will in one sense. And you'll hear people talk this way. Um, If it happened, it was God's will. Because God is sovereign over everything, right? He's in charge of the rise and the fall of nations. Um, He's in charge of the day. We talked about the Father's fixed time of Christ's return. Uh, There's no way to thwart God's will. If it happened, it was His will. So in one sense, we're going to get to other senses, but in one sense, everything that happens is His will. You can't Compete against it. He's sovereign over all things. He uses evil ultimately for good and turns it for good. He's in control. That's his providential will. But then we have what's sometimes called his moral will. Uh, That's what he clearly commands us in Scripture. And yes, we can rebel and turn from his moral will. So if God says, you should not lie, for example, in Colossians, do not lie to one another. When we lie... (laughs) We go against his will, his moral will. Uh, he's ultimately still in control and he'll use it for his purposes, but nevertheless, we've broken uh, his moral will, what he's called us to do uh, when we lie. So one way to understand God's will is to just understand what the scriptures tell you to do. Um, and you have people sometimes say, I think God wanted me to lie in this situation. My answer is no, he did not. <laughs> because his word very tell- clearly tells you what his moral will is. And he never contradicts himself. So if God tells you in his word, you know what his will is. Or God wanted me to to leave my husband and go with this other guy. No, he did not. I know he did not because his word tells you very clearly that's not what he called you to do. So yes, his providential will is still in in, in play and he's still in control of all things, but he makes clear his will. But then there's what's sometimes called his personal will, his subjective will. What about things that are not clear in Scripture? Does God want me to to stay the path where I'm going right now? 
Uh, does he want me to take a left? <laughs> uh, take a right? Does he want me to, to speed up? Does he want me to slow down? Does he want me to turn around and go in a totally different direction? Where is he leading me specifically? Should I take that job out in Chicago or should I stay put where I'm at right now? Is this the girl that God wants me to marry or is it somebody else? Things that are not so clear in his moral will. And here's where I'd say, friends, we prayerfully and carefully seek where his spirit leads and keep in step with him. Now here's the cool thing. The more you understand his providential will, so the more you grasp, if, you haven't, if, you have, if, if you've been tuning out, come back for this, okay? <laughs> The more you understand his providential will, his sovereign will over everything, and the more you grasp his moral will, what he wants for you, and that's very clear in Scripture, the clearer his personal will will be. If you grasp those first two things, the third one will come a lot easier. How is he leading you specifically as you walk with him? Friends, and there is this very specific, this very personal leading that God gives us. Let me give you a few examples from Scripture. The first one's from Acts. Uh, this is what he says. Uh, this is a group of missionaries traveling throughout um, the Ma- Asia Minor, trying to do the work of missions as God leads. And this is what they say. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's clearly not God's moral will. Go preach the word everywhere in the whole world. But his very specific leading for this missionary team was to not go into one region. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So there's the Holy Spirit saying, that's not the direction you need to go. He's giving them a very personal leading, a personal will in one direction or another. Let me give you a few others about um, how he opens doors for ministry. Uh, God leads us in very specific directions by opening a door. So this is a common uh, illustration in Scripture. You have a door, a spiritual door in a sense, and sometimes that door gets shut. And sometimes another door gets open, and God makes his leading clear by closing one door and opening another. In chapter 14, he says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they decided that all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opens a door to go in one specific direction. Next one is 1 Corinthians 16. I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul noticed, I'm going to stay here because the door of ministry has been opened. This is where God wants me to be. I think there's one, maybe the last one, four, four, three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. So he's asking God to show him where he wants him to be by opening a door to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. I think that's the last one. All right? So the calling here, friends, is to seek his personal will for you as well. Where is God leading you? Keeping in step with the Spirit means like that little kid jumping into his his father's big footprints. Where does he want you to go? Friends, I think this is also my prayer and my hope for our church. When it comes to this church family, uh, we want to say the Holy Spirit is actually leading us. uh, Genuinely. And we're not just saying that because that's something that Christians say. (laughs) Where does he want us to go? How is he leading us? Uh, we've seen him close certain doors of ministry. That's not a bad thing. That means he doesn't want us to go in that direction. Maybe we thought that was his leading for a little while, and the door gets shut. Um, we've seen this, uh, for example, in our prison ministry. Um, for a long time, we had a good presence at Middleton and in Lawrence, uh, a good ministry there, and the doors got shut, kind of tragically. Uh, no more. 
all of sort of the evangelical chaplains got booted out of there, not allowed to minister there anymore. Uh, it was kind of a sad day. So we prayerfully sought the Lord's will, and then another door of ministry got opened in a different prison in southern New Hampshire. And now we're focusing our efforts in prison ministry there, where God has closed one door, he's, he's opened another. So as a church family, friends, this is something we pray through and seek. What does he have for us? And I just ask you to do the same uh, for yourself as well. Keep in step with the Spirit by seeking how he's leading you specifically. Understand his providential will, understand his moral will, and then look to see how, what doors he's open and where he's calling you to go. Friends, we're called to walk by the Spirit and bear fruit. To walk by the Spirit is to leave behind the works of the flesh. Sort of keep them in the rearview mirror. <laughs> that was me. That was my old life. I'm not there anymore. The battle is still real, but I'm moving ahead where he, to, towards what he has for me. To walk by the Spirit is to bear new and good fruit. You cannot be in the presence of God and not have it change you. As he says here, friends, that if, if, you're, if your life is not changed, I would question whether you're in the very presence of God at all. Because to be with him is to be changed. And others tend to notice that even quicker than we do. And then to walk by the Spirit is to keep in step with him. What is he calling you to specifically and individually? Uh, whenever you go for a walk, usually there's a destination. That's kind of why you go for a walk, right? I mean, get the exercise and all that too, but, but where are you, you heading? <laughs> so if the whole of the Christian life is described as a walk, uh, where is the destination? <laughs> where is the Holy Spirit leading? If he's, the lead, if he's the one leading us and we're keeping in step with him, where are we headed? And the answer to that, I think, is pretty clear in Scripture. We're headed towards home. We're headed to the very presence of God in glory. He's trying to keep us faithful, staying on the path, in his will to the end. Until Christ returns in that great glorious day, which we need to always keep before our eyes, or the day he takes us from this world. The thing is, we don't know when that path comes to an end. For, for a little baby, it's much quicker. For some of us, it's already been 80 years. For me, it's been about 40. Uh, but we continue to walk with him until he brings us safely to the end. Would you pray with me? Well, our gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word, which always tends to, to meet us where we're at, as we said. Lord, far beyond what I know and what I understand as, it, as your word gets taught and preached, and uh, you have a way of meeting your people. So, Father, I pray for those here who are struggling, perhaps, with the works of the flesh. They're at war with it. Help them to take courage to know that to be at war with the flesh is to be then against it, which is the whole point. But help them to have victory, Lord, over temptation and sin. To continue to walk by the power of your spirit, your very presence, which gives us the strength to overcome. Help us, Lord, as your people, together and individually, to bear the fruit of the spirit, Lord. Help us to become each day more loving and joyful, peaceful and patient, gentle and kind, and self-controlled and good, as only you can do. To see the supernatural work of the spirit transforming us. And then, Lord, give us wisdom how to keep in step with your spirit, to know where you're leading us, to recognize where a door is closed and trust you in that, and then look where a door is opened and walk through it with courage and confidence in our Savior. And, Lord, help us to recognize where you're leading us to, which is ultimately to be with you forever. We look forward to that day, even as, Lord, as a church, we continue to celebrate your grace today. We ask all this in Christ's name. And God's people said...
Amen. Amen. As we prepare.